Now, nightlifers, do you know the next Olympics are just 152 days away? Now, the history of the Olympics stretches way back in time to at least 776 BC. That's when the ancient Greeks got together, barely clothed if at all, to race, uh, wrestle at what's now the historic ruin of Olympia. And of course, its modern iteration, which began in 1896, has seen glory, heartbreak, controversy, politics and everything in between. Now, you know I love a bit of history, so what we're going to do between now and the start of the Games on July the 26th in Paris is set aside this time every week to talk through the story of each game. So from next week, my guest is going to be Olympics expert Professor Richard Cashman. But to sum up the entire ancient Olympics in one fell swoop to kick us off, I've invited Rassidus Carolus on to Nightlife. He's Professor of Modern Greek and Byzantine Studies and Head of the Greek Department at the University of Sydney. He's been a regular guest with us in This Week in History. But once more, Rassidus literally grew up at Olympia in Greece and in fact used to play there as a child before it was even turned into an archaeological site. Hello, Rassidus. Welcome back to Nightlife. Thank you so much for the invitation to talk about such an, if I may say, personal and uh, even, you know, just to do with my childhood, you know, the, the site itself. Yeah. Well, all right. Tell us about this childhood. So how close did you actually live to ancient uh, Olympia? Well, I was born in Olympia. In, uh, my father was from Olympia and my mother from a, a nearby village. But I studied there because the, the primary school at Olympia and we went there, you know, after uh, going to school, we used to go every day to the site itself to play soccer, of course, <laughs> or other games that we used to, we were, used to run. We used to go and uh, sort of the kind of compete with each other, you know, in a childish way, not in a sort of a kind of a official way. But because we have seen all these tourists coming by, you know, and and um, entering the place, they, it was not fenced, and you know, the, the place became, as you mentioned before, an archaeological site by the dictatorship. In 1969, where they actually they understood that this, uh, I mean, the, all these archaeological areas were considered to be, as they call them to this day, sacred sites. So it's not for us children to go and play there. So we're not allowed. I still remember, you know, just uh, uh, after it was fenced, you know, just around there, the famous Altis, the hill of Altis, you know, the beautiful area of um Sort of a, with um, um, the greenery and the uh, and the cypresses, you know. Suddenly, we were sitting off outside the fence, holding a ball in our hands. And said, "Well, we're going to play games soccer <laughs> now." You know, just what is so happening? So these sad little what? Greek kids standing there saying, "You fenced off our <laughs> soccer field." Yeah, yeah. And we're looking, you know, behind the fence, and why not? What happened? Why are we not allowed to get in there? Understand, we had the transformation of that period because of mass tourism that took place in Greece in during the late sixties, early seventies. So these places were predominantly for the tourists, and then they became uh, sort of a kind of uh, for the Olympic Games as they started becoming a sort of a more and more you know a global event and being full of advertising and these kind of things. We must not forget that the, in the seventies, Greece asked that if they could organize the Olympic Games permanently at Olympia. So that was another story there, as you understand, that created a lot of of uh, of problem and problems for actually for us, the locals, to go and. Uh, live our lives as we did before. Yeah. So let's go back now much further in time, back to at least 7776 BC. What do we know about how the ancient Olympics actually got started? 
we don't know much as you know there's a lot of you know lost in, in, um, in the midst of uh, of history in the past because as we know i mean the olympic games have supposedly have a roots in mythology that started uh, sort of a kind of according to Pausanias, they were dedicated to uh, hercules and zeus and all these famous greek um, ancient greek heroes and their relationship with god and uh, during that competition between um um, uh, Hercules, who was the son of Zeus and uh, some other local heroes, uh, he received an olive wreath, which became, as we understand, the uh, idea from now on that to this day we give olive wreaths to the um, uh, the winners of the of the competition. So the essentially these were dedicated to Zeus, the Olympian Zeus, as the great the, where the great statue uh, by Phidias was uh, as well. They were made of gold and ivory, and it represented one of the great the seven seven wonders of antiquity. So it goes back to um, mythological past of Greece, but it became probably the most important historical institution in the country itself and later on when uh, after alexander and the um the romans it became almost a mediterranean event that participated many people from different um, uh, backgrounds countries areas participated there okay so tell us about you know what it meant to the greek people both culturally and religiously because it had significance in, in both of those areas well, today we think of the Olympic Games as predominantly a sort of kind of, a, if I may say, commercial activity. Yes. Everybody advertises. It becomes, it's the idea that we become the first, the winner. It becomes even sometimes a very nationalistic event. But in that period, in the early Greece, in Greece, for since their official establishment, and in the beginning it was only a local event for the uh, Peloponnesians, but then it started expanding and included all Greeks from all over the uh, Mediterranean. And, we, and the most important event was that during the four days that this games lasted, uh, all Greece, all Greek city-states signed a truce that there would be no war for four days. And that's very important that all conflicts ended for four days because they used to send the best the best of them to go and compete in the Olympic Games because the winner was not simply uh, a sort of a kind of, didn't receive only a, 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 a award for himself, but also for the city and for the culture and, and for the gods of his city as well. So that was a very important event for the ancient Greeks. First of all, the wars stopped for four days it was an idea it was a period that the the uh, greek people uh from different origins that you say from sicily from uh, uh crimea from uh, uh trebizond from uh, Rhodes, from crete could come together and discuss and see each other and express their uh, sort of a kind of um, if i may say in this case the grievances that they have it's interesting as well, which is culturally was not simply all games themselves, but it was the um, a cultural event. Don't, we must not forget that the greatest, one of the greatest poem, poets of antiquity, Pinda, used to read his famous odes there in in, um, in Olympia, the Olympic odes, as we call them. And of course, the, uh, the father of um, uh, modern historiography, Herodotus, read the first books of his histories there at the Olympic Games and gave the example to other historians to follow him. So it was a very important event 
religiously as well, it was extremely interesting because, as we said, it was dedicated to Zeus. It was not simply to celebrate the the prowess and the um, championship of of the individual, but essentially to celebrate the presence of the father of gods, of all humanity, amongst them. That's why the whole area, if you visit today, if you visit the the site, although in ruins, you can still see the the temple of Zeus and of Hera, his wife, next to them, where all Greeks from different areas as we said, of the Mediterranean, came together to pray and negotiate with each other. That's a very important event which combined the actual physical reality with essentially a spiritual significance that the ancient Greeks attributed to the games themselves. Uh, Rassidus, you were just saying that they, they had to have truces if they were at war when the Olympics were on because every all of the best fighters were going to go off to, to be part of it. So is this true that when the Persians invaded Greece in uh, 480 BC, a lot of the Greek city-states were like, OK, we can get an army to go and fight the Persians, but um, we've got to have the Olympics first. So even a foreign invasion, the response had to wait because of the Olympics? Yes, yes, that's very true. <laughs> you know, of course, this is a, um, a sort of a story, a, a tale about the, the games, but there were quite many things like this that we have to wait first to finish the games and then do the whole thing, you know, just the... Uh, the, the um, first the games, the then go save our country. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, that indicated how important and how significant for them were because, as we said, it was not simply for if I may say, for the victory, you know, the sake of a victory that became victorious and triumphant, it was a sort of a kind of, that indicated that you were in, the gods were in favour of the country, of the city-state and of the people themselves. So there was all this, today we have lost completely this sense of spiritual significance of the games, but to the ancients, it was very, very um, um, real and very active in their everyday life. Mm. Um, Rasidus Karolus is here, Professor of Modern Greek and Byzantine Studies at the University of Sydney. So you said it was a big deal for a town if their local guy happened to, to win a particular competition. So what was that experience like if you came first in an event? Well, you know, there are many stories that there's, in some occasions they have to bring down the walls of the city to allow all the uh, the pomp and ceremony to bring <laughs> the winners into the city itself. Huh? So there's a very important event like today, if you see when we have the Olympic Olympians coming back and we celebrate in the centre of the city, in Sydney and Canberra, and uh, they go to the parliament and this kind of things. This is what will happen in antiquity. The uh, hero, the, 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 uh, the, the people who won the winners of the Olympic Games, we must add there were some other games as well, eh? in Emia and Delphi as well, but these were the most famous, the Olympic Games, where essentially the main political, came to become the main political leaders of the cities as well, that indicated that sports, athletics and politics were coming hand in hand in antiquity as well as today, as, as we know. All right. So, yeah, do well at the Olympics. It was good for your political career. Okay. So, look, why was everyone naked? Is that true? Everyone was naked. And if so, why? Uh, Yeah. Well, in antiquity, as you understand, in um, um, the nudity was not considered indecent. 
that became uh, the idea of nudity as indecent came much, much later, especially in the late um, uh, antiquity. But uh, in, in the early years, they were always well, naked, but later on, because of uh, sometimes, you know, just for reasons of uh, sort of a kind of decency, because some mothers asked to look at their children who participated in the, in the games. They used to add a sort of like a, a G-string around them, so to protect them as well, you know, the whole, um, um, this genital area. But overall, it was, yes, naked. It, that it became a glorification of the male body, all the, um, uh, the, the, um, statues that we have from the period, um, depicted body naked not dressed or covered in any way and uh, for the ancient Greeks you know just we must not forget that the body the human body was the epitome of a perfect universe this is how they saw the universe that as a perfect perfected symmetrical and most importantly not like the bodybuilders of today as we see but as the most symmetrical and as a, that's the the word that we use even today in english without knowing that comes from there harmonious body the way that harmonious means how it is bent together it was actually linked to, together so that's a very important element to remember for them for them for the ancients being naked meant being innocent it was not always sexualized as we have it today, right? It was completely sort of a kind of um, natural to see someone naked in the streets. Now, uh, Rose, we know these days we always get a, you know, we've got the torch relay and then we get the Olympic flame being being lit. Was the Olympic flame also part of the, the opening ceremony at the ancient games? Well, they had the the the, the flame there, there as well, but it was inside the um, the temple of Zeus. That was part of the, the everybody had to go and pay their respects to Zeus. So there was a, a, a sort of a kind of the eternal fire, as I used to call it, within the uh, the temple itself. But in um, in in the actual ceremonies, opening ceremonies, we didn't have this one except uh, you know some sacrifices to go to Zeus and at a, the re- official reading of a, of a, a oath that they will all compete with honesty and um, they won't try to cheat as you done during the, the during the games that's a very important that that having said that we have many stories of uh, dishonest and cheating you know during the games as well especially during the lo- late roman period when romans after they conquered greece they start participating in the games themselves you know they demanded that they would be part of uh, the games themselves don't we must not forget what nero the emperor nero did as well who actually transferred for uh, the olympic games to rome because he wanted to become an olympian himself <laughs> yeah not to mention a poet and a musician and everything else so how long were they in rome for just for t- twice but then as you understand they were not considered as real Olympic Games, those ones, because essentially the Roman emperors, as we, as we all know, were a bit, you know, just uh, not on the safe side of things, <laughs> and they didn't represent, they didn't see the the Olympic Games in their uh, significance as a cultural and political and social event. So um, simply as a, a means, as an institution for their own aggrandizement. Nero in particular, although Augustus helped earlier than him, helped to revive the Games, and later on 
Marcus Aurelius and others actually play, uh, and uh, Hadrian in particular, played a very important role in reviving the games, rebuilding the site, because um, for those who will um, visit the site, you will know, remember that there is a, a, a very volatile landscape because of earthquakes, because of flooding, and because of uh, a lot of um, sort of a mudsliding that cap- happens in the area itself, which contributed considerably to the to the end of the games as well. We had big earthquakes at the late antiquity, and which destroyed most of the temples, together as well with the, the loss of the, if I may say, the pagan significance of the um, of the games with the rise of uh, uh, Christianity. Right. So the once Christianity was sort of the, the official religion of the Roman Empire, did that mean that what the games stood for, it didn't fit in with that story? Indeed, indeed, yes, yes, and especially after Christianity, under Theodosius, became the official, the official, not the prevailing or the uh, the most popular religion of the of the empire, but became the official um, religion of the empire. The Olympic Games were essentially stopped by, first of all, transferring all the important monuments of the site, especially. In this case, the gold and ivory statue of Zeus to Constantinople as the, the the capital of the empire, which we know that it was destroyed sometime later, three or four hundred years later, and then, as you see, the, with this, um, uh, when the real sacred, if I may say, center of the Olympic Games was lost. So the the games lost their significance, and people abandoned the site gradually. And um, it was it, many people say, of course, that many theories we have that a form of the Olympic Games continued throughout the centuries. We are not quite sure. We know that there were many um, a sort of kind of gatherings in the region, especially in the area during the. August and September, that period when the Olympic Games were taking taking place in antiquity, and uh, I think that uh, unfortunately, yes, the um, rise of Christianity led to uh, to the, the diminished significance of the games. Also, as the philosophy of the state changed as well, and the human body had to be covered, had to be mystified, and finally. You know, as we know, in the Middle Ages, it was essentially almost demonized. A naked person, a naked body became the epitome of uh, a demon that was going to possess you or completely destroy your, if I may say, in a Christian sense, your soul, the virtues of your soul. Yeah, so it would have been impossible for the Olympics to have survived, you know, much further in time because of all those things, as you say. Now, I want to know, Rasidus, do you have any particular stories about great feats of athleticism or notable athletes? Because they kept really good records about this stuff, didn't they? Well, the Olympic Games were not simply, you know, just athletic events. They were essentially the way that the ancient Greeks were keeping the calendars, you know, there was a calendar. It was the official beginning, you know, through the first Olympia, the second Olympia, the Greeks actually measured time. Now, today we measure time from the uh, birth of Jesus, year zero or year four in particular. But in, for the antiquity, the Olympian calendar was the official calendar for the ancient for uh, the, the ancient Greeks. That is to say, the, the um, uh, Peloponnesian War took place 
uh, during the, as they said, the 50th Olympiad. That is to say, that was the measure for them, the beginning of historical and archaeological records was the beginning of the Olympic Games, which is, although, as you said, as you mentioned before, 776, then a bit earlier, but it was standardized back then. It was a very important, I think, uh, many important events happened there. As I said, I mentioned the um, the the um, um, the way that the Romans, especially Nero, dealt with the issue. But in antiquity, as we know, we have very important events there as well. You know, the story well, um, when people try to win the games, as you understand, in these games, he, they try to, in many occasions, to poison and create diarrhea, cause diarrhea to their opponents in many. (laughs) (laughs) So they couldn't make, they couldn't compete, as you understand. We had very many ideas like this, especially uh, many practices like this in in, um, antiquity, and the many stories that were essentially cast out, you know, they were uh, castigated and uh, totally uh, sort of condemned by later later on. However, as we, we to the extent that we can, um, we know, until the very late, as I said, the Roman period, it was a very honest and fair uh, sort of a kind of, um, um, if I may say, organization of games, because people were very, very serious about wh- how it happened and how it should be organized. I have to mention also people like the well, the famous, the first, the first um, Oli. Olympian, Corribos of Ilis, as they call it, the first Olympic champion, uh, who actually was from the Peloponnese there, who was one of the strongest giants, as they said, and everybody was afraid of him as well. I would like to mention also that during, as you mentioned before, the invasion of the of the Persians, it was the first time that we see the Macedonian kings participating. In the in the Olympic Games, which indicated Greek ancestry, as well. Also, you know the most famous of all. You know, I think that we discussed that before. It was Milo of Croton, the famous wrestler, who actually won six times and became one of the most important, most important heroes of antiquity. And when one to mention, you know, the Schwarzenegger of the antiquity, you, you could call him Milo of Croton. That was <laughs> he was the Schwarzenegger of antiquity. Okay, and, now there are some stories about him. For example, as part of the sacrifice to Zeus, I have read he carried a cow in on his back, then he killed it, and then he ate the whole cow himself in a day. It's quite an incredible yeah, story. Incredible stuff shows how big and how strong he was as well. Also, we have uh, many important stories about, you know, just the women participating in the Olympic Games. Hang on, I didn't think we were allowed to. They were not allowed, but there was, in the and the late period, they allowed some women to have their own day, as you understand, especially women from Sparta as well, which was very important. You know, we, Spartan women were... Fierce warriors as well, were not like the the, um, the male counterparts. Also, we know that although women were not allowed to go to um, uh, to watch the games, in many occasions, like we have the famous Calipatira, a woman who was so respected that she was allowed to come and see her children actually participating into the the games themselves. So it's a very important, you know, just for the antiquity for the ancient. Um, um, Greeks, 
it was a very dynamic process, the way that it changes from the beginning, being predominantly for men and predominantly for Greeks only, to something that opened up to people from different backgrounds, to different uh, sort of a kind of um, um, almost religion, like we have the king of Armenia, for example, participating into the games as well in the fourth century. And uh, we have people from Scythia. We have some participants from, uh, I don't know if you have read the famous cartoon Asterix in the Olympic Games. Even we have some Celts participating there. So it seems that gradually the Olympic Games opened up to a sort of becoming a sort of, a, 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 for, for the period, a global event that included all these people as well from different backgrounds. And there was even, even in in my, um, since I was born, as I told you, that, as we said before there, we have many oral histories about women watching the games from a, a, a hill of, above the stadium. So we'll see their children uh, um, um, competing. So mm. it was to this day, I would say, despite the fact that the Olympic Games ended sometime in the fourth century, they became they have remained in the oral history and the oral and the collective memory of the Greeks as one of the most important events that took place in the in the area itself. Yeah. It was a local event which included everybody from all over the uh, the Mediterranean. I love it, Rasinus. Wouldn't it be great if in the modern Olympics, though, we could get the country leaders? I mean, you've got, like, you know, the Macedon kings and the king of Armenia. Wouldn't you just love to see the prime ministers, the presidents all going in the Olympic Games against each other? <laughs> that would be very <laughs> challenging, it would. if I may say. Yeah, <laughs> Joe Biden, I'm not sure how Joe fast Biden, he'd yeah, be. <laughs> Joe Biden, you know, Donald Trump and all the others, as you understand. Plus the the president of France, eh? He would need a lot of uh, makeup every day. You know, it would be very <laughs> difficult to participate in the Olympic Games. But anyway, it will be very interesting to see them. That the is games. something I would absolutely love to see the leaders' games. Anyway, Russ, we must leave it there. But um, look, thank you so much. It's always fabulous to talk to, you, and thanks for bringing us this story of uh, the early ancient Greek Olympics. Thank you. Uh, Rasidis Karalis, Professor of Modern Greek and Byzantine Studies uh, and the head of the Greek Department at the University of Sydney and a native of uh, the town of Olympia in Greece where those ancient Olympics were held. Listening to Nightlife with Suzanne Hill on ABC Radio and on the ABC Listener.